sound of sensation across the nation. Listen to Radio Goodies. Boom. Welcome to the Goodies Pirate Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Richard. And I'm Tom. And this is episode 15, Farm Fresh Food. Sometimes known as Health Farm, or apparently also Uncle Tom's Farm. But this was first broadcast on the 10th of December, 1971, a Friday evening at 10.10pm. 10, 10 Still late at night. Still late at night. But apparently where a lot of this experimental comedy was shown at that time. Now, gentlemen... I watched this the first time and actually sort of struggled with it a bit. I must admit, though, watching it the second time and watching it a bit more closely, there is some good stuff in there, but we spoke last episode with Wicked Waltzing, or Come Dancing, whatever it's called, about the idea of one joke and doing variations on a theme of that joke for the whole of an episode. Farm Fresh Food does that again, this idea of food being manufactured and processed, and then it does different iterations of that. So you've got the restaurant version, then you've got the control room version, then now on the farm version. I actually think this is one that doesn't hold the joke quite as well for the for the thirty minutes. But what do you guys reckon? Um, I actually was going to say I thought of of the episodes in around this time that are actually about something. I actually thought this was one of the better ones uh, in terms of keeping the the thing going I mean because I mean next week when we get to women's lib I, I think that's incredibly patchy I mean that's for next week's discussion this one did have something to say and I thought it made most of its points reasonably well I mean you can argue over how they go about it and some of the scenes maybe don't quite work but it, it's probably one that's still topical now I mean we've now and Bill even makes the comment that sugar's really bad for you and of course that's now become a hot really mm. hot topic oh for sure the, the, um, the messaging works and, and the themes definitely work I just found I was struggling with the variation on the same joke by the end of it. But maybe that's just more of me. I struggle with this one, but I think this is because it was one that is played so often when you're going through the run of the goodies back in the 80s and 90s and what you do with it. It it Uh, is a very familiar episode. It's a very, very familiar episode. So watching it now and trying to be discerning about it, you're thinking, did did I find this bit funny? Did I find that a bit funny? I remember thinking this was hilarious back, you know, when it was fairly novel. I I remember as a kid finding it absolutely hilarious. And I I think it's also got jokes that, as a kid, you can relate to very easily. Like, everybody knows about barnyard animals and... Yeah, and, and food and everything. So it works very well. But we'll dive into it then. It has got a very fun opening, I have to say, which is Bill cooking the organic. Now, meal. Bill, Bill has just uh, built this clearly continuity thing. Bill has clearly learned to cook and cook quite well successfully. <laughs> um. That's right. And that was that was an odd thing for me. It it's really it was seemed very weird that suddenly Bill was the cook. It's a role that he plays, although again in a number of episodes later on, but. Seeing it here for the first time, it did stand out as... Well, I think they take the rule that uh, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense as long as it's funny. No, I mean, I mean, look, there clearly is really very little continuity. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, they blew up the world three times. Yes. What is, it, what is this, Doctor Who? And, and indeed, as we said incessantly, the intention was never that three sort of sad men would sit in a room 40-odd years later and pick it to bits. So... <laughs> uh, but look, look, I did think it was a very fun... Um, 
I, I particularly like the way that Graham plays it. Look, I know you worked very hard at this, and it's, it's very nice, really, but could I please? <laughs> <laughs> Graham plays it really well. It, it's punctuated by the, the glass of plankton. I think that it, it is one of those examples of where the, the, the joke builds, you know, the soil, the brown sugar, yep. the worm. The, the raisin, yeah. The raisin, and then you get to the plankton, that just sort of tops it off. Mm. And it's a really well-structured scene, a really good, well-structured joke. The only problem that you could argue is that, and look, it's, it's just to move the narrative on, Bill gives up on health food phenomenally quickly. Quickly, yes, because he's hungry. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's a nice way to get them into the story. Now, they get to the restaurant where they have the first of the two big, big guest name actors. Yes. In this, um, being Frank Thornton in the first of a couple of appearances in the goodies. Yes. Now, at this point, Thornton was still a year away from becoming Captain Peacock on Are You Being Served? But he'd done some drama, like he'd been in The Fall of Eagles, which was a big, high-profile, high-budget BBC drama at the time. But he'd it also... also had Colin point, Baker in it, actually. It did, it did have Colin Baker in it. Sorry. That's right. Um, he also has, at this point, worked yeah. with Benny Hill. He's worked with Frankie Howard. He's worked with Reg Varney. He's worked with Spike Milligan. And he even filled in for John Pertwee on the Navy Lark once. So apparently there was an episode where, oh, John Pertwee's character isn't here, but he's his cousin, Mr. Pertwee. <laughs> or something to that effect. And was in a number of um, Navy Lark spin-offs, like the Embassy Lark and I think one other. He had some roles in. So Frank Thorne at this point is probably not a household name, but I suspect most people Very well known. would have... If they didn't know the name, they'll go, that's that guy. I've seen yep. a lot of stuff. And his, his resume even at this point, is just incredible. And it obviously gets even better when he gets Are uh, You Being Served? Um, certainly, certainly from an Australian point of view, we would have seen Are You Being Served by the time we are getting lots of repeats of the goodies, and that's what we were yeah. connecting him with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he hadn't done Grace in Favour by that point, which is no. probably he, a good thing. He later went on, I think one of his last roles, he was in. Uh, he was one of the regulars in uh, Last of the Summer Wine. A, a lot of, of older actors turned up in that tour across its run. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, a really big name. It was their pension scheme. (laughs) (laughs) He he only died, I think, not all that long ago. No, not that long ago, no. I have to say, he's one of the best... Oh, he's really good. He was really, really good in this. Yeah, the the way that he... The the, the really subtle physical comedy, like when he's doing the soup out of the tin or when he's doing the new potatoes, is really good. The looks that he gives, he's not... Hamming it up. No, it's incredibly just, just really bored. Actually, he comes across as a bored, really as a mm. bored waiter. It's yeah. really, really well it's done. Pitched perfectly. Really yeah, really yeah. funny. Like the looks that he gives. Yeah, are brilliant. Watching that again recently, and uh, and I have just sat down to rewatching. Yes, Minister. And yes, Prime Minister. It very much is the looks that uh, Appleby gives Jim mm. Hacker. And it, it's pitched to that level of, you know, just the condescendingness of a really rude waiter. It, it is, and he seems like an actor who, you know, let's face it, 1971 TV is still, not in its infancy, but it's, it's still a newish medium, or one that most performers in it have come to later in their careers. And he's playing this for television in a way that others perhaps aren't. He, he really knows how to make it work for television. And he doesn't telegraph the jokes, for example. He lets the, no. the, the jokes with the props come naturally out of that. It's a really, really good performance. And again, quite a... I, th- I think of the, the variations they do of the joke across this episode, the restaurant scene is my favourite, by far and away. Whether it's, as I said, the soup, the potatoes, uh, the, the pork chop. <laughs> <laughs> with the special colouring. 
That's a, a really Fred funny Flintstones. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> Bone. Uh, any any thoughts from you guys on the restaurant? I like it. I, it it's a gr- it's a great bit that they had for it. I think though, uh, certainly as a child, I, I preferred the part two version of it. Okay. So yeah, it's probably one. You're right. It's probably one. I think that now watching it as, uh, now that we're older I think now really stands out as a yeah. kid yeah oh, you're probably right that was probably the boring bit of the episode mm. but uh, watching it now no that, that was great I think that probably was the best scene in the episode I, yeah. I think it's really good so they then move on to the next team which is they decide to go down to Uncle Tom's farm where of course they're met by Uncle Tom played by John LeMessure who at this point uh, has worked with Peter Sellers he's quite an established actor with credits going right back to the early 1930s yes uh, so very very established actor uh, he did nine films in the 60s alone but by this point he would be almost slap in the middle of Dad's yeah. Army which was 68 uh, to 77 yes that's right so he's right slap in the middle of playing Sergeant Arthur Wilson mm. in Dad's Army so this would definitely have been quite a get for them because we, we, we've seen for example a number of actors who are quite well known or would go on to be phenomenally well known but they've got them early in their career Arguably, Frank, Frank Thornton falls into that, same way Molly Stunton did. Joan Sims was on the rise, but not as big, etc. John LeMessure is probably at the absolute height of his fame and popular culture notoriety at this point. Yeah, probably in 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 that world of, of working, you know, in the BBC with Dad's Army and all of those shows, uh, it would have been on top of his game, but. For the wider audience, or certainly the television audience. Well, I'll say for the people who are tuning in to watch the goodies. Yeah, they, they would all be tuning in to watch Dad's Army. Oh, true, very so true. It would, it would definitely be. Oh my God, they've got that guy from Dad's Army. Yes, and, and for a lot of people, I mean, John LeMessurier is one of the absolute stars, if not the star of Dad's Army. His his laconic Sergeant Wilson actually holds oh. the whole thing together. Yes, he holds it together. Almost makes him the straight man. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, well. That said, you've got Arthur Lowe playing. Captain That's Young, right. Who, who is? Who, I don't know what you call him. Whether you call it the straight man or not, but the the face of it. And then you've got obviously Clive Dunn yeah. hamming it up as Corporal Jones, etc. But yeah, really good get to get John the Measure here. That said, guys, what did you make of his performance in this one? Well, in in some way, I mean, look, he gives us a similar performance in Dad's Army because you you do sort of get the impression that he's just sort of wandered in, had a vague look at the script. And then just gone for it, but uh, I mean that that see, I mean, that that's very similar to as I said to his dad's army performance. So I'm, I'm guessing that's probably just what he does. Just, just what he does. Mm. I I don't think he's actually changed much in many of his roles, certainly from the '60s onwards. I mean, you you could point to him in Jabberwocky. He did the same thing. Yeah, Bryce uh, had revisited. He was in an episode of that yeah. where he played a priest and the same sort of thing. But that said, for a guy that seems to be giving a very laconic almost dismissive performance the timing on the comedy is impeccable yeah oh, there's no doubting his professionalism and yeah. that he's a pro when he steps on the, the stage or in front of a camera yeah uh, he's certainly got it down pat uh, whether it's a one trick pony or not certainly in the you know 70s yeah either his own or the 1970s um, <laughs> you know it was a, a lot there for him yeah, it's 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 an interesting performance to watch now, uh, and very look, s- you, you very small role too. In in essence, he's only got two scenes. Yes. He's got that very first one, and then you you cut to the end, which is about three lines. 
True. And, and look, that may, may be how they got him. They just you know, said, look, we basically need you to do... You can come in for an afternoon. To, yeah. Yeah. Say, rehearse for an afternoon, do the night performance and go back to... Dad's army. Dad's army. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Tom, as you uh, alluded to just before the set... Yes. The farm is obviously the original Starship Enterprise. Well, nicely remade to do, to do it, considering they would have had to put that together on a BBC budget. Well, I was about to say, given that when Star Trek The Next Generation came to remake the entire set for the episode Relics, which was the um, one where Scotty comes back, and that cost them a bloody fortune. Yeah. Well, actually, I think, if memory serves, they actually didn't do it. They did it as a video trick because they couldn't afford to remake a 60s set on for, for one episode on yeah. mm. his budget. So given how good this looks yeah. on a BBC budget, mm. that's a phenomenal set. Oh, it's fantastic. And, it, you know, it holds up to, you know, you watch it there and you're thinking, you know, that, that's just really nice of what they were trying to do. And you, you just, you know, here's the world of the future with uh, how we do our farming and, and you're putting it in that scenario. It's interesting, though, the audience doesn't seem to really react to it. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether that's because they'd seen it sort of before it was filmed or whether just Trek wasn't quite in the consciousness of Britain at that stage. Probably, I think that's where you're going. If, if we're talking, you know, late 1972, uh, whilst Trek was sort of known about it, it didn't really take off into the worldwide consciousness mm. uh, you know, through the TV21 comics and all that, and that started about 71, 72, and that's when it started to get out well, there. Well, it had only been on, it wasn't shown in Britain until the late 60s. Well, that's when it was on anyway. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> but, but I mean, we're talking right at the end of the 60s. Yeah. I mean, I think it's around the time Troughton finished on Who, I think. Yeah, it was about 69 onwards. Uh, is when is when they got it there, so... And, and only a single run, I think, in the UK? It would have been at, at that, that time. time. Yeah. So there isn't quite the recognition, but yeah, it's a brilliant set. And it certainly, as you say, sets up the gag of the mechanically run farm really well. That then gets me to a bit that I think actually doesn't quite work, which is the gag about pushing the buttons on the captain's chair to do all the jobs, which has some nice sound effects and gets a few laughs, but I don't think it quite conveys what they're trying to convey. I think that was coming across more in um, John Lemaitre's... Uh commentary on yeah. oh you want to help me feed this you want to help me you know uh, muck out that and do all that sort of stuff okay when do we start well you've just done, done it. it um you know sort of like it was, it was to get that uh message across more than anything else so rather than the the physicalness of it it was uh portrayed by john yeah we move on to the filmed insert yes where they go out and start actually doing some real farm chores <laughs> comments on that one interesting ideas yes yeah, I, I look. I, I again, I got some laughs out of watching yeah. it. I mean, there's a bit with Bill walking the the pies, oh, and, yes, and there's the pies. scene where they, the the poor cow, they shake the cow around, and then it puts out pre-wrapped butter. butter. Yeah, <laughs> feeding through Bill through the sausage machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's quite funny, and then actually. backwards. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's some good stuff in there. I, I don't think it's their best work in terms of film inserts, and I think at this stage for me, the joke of the farm's not a natural farm. It's all been artificial and it's all mechanical. It's like, okay, I've got that. We've we've shown the food in the restaurant. We've shown him doing it all from an enterprise like control centre. I've got this joke. Give me give me something new. Mm. And and look, yes, there are some good variations on it in here. The the the, the, the walking duck pies is very funny and it's a good visual gag. But at this stage, I, I bored is far too strong a word because I'm enjoying it. But I'm feeling as though. 
I've got it, guys. Get get on with telling me something new. Okay, well, I mean, I guess they do move on from that scene. I mean, there's a bit where they have the boneless chicken and whatever yeah. as well, but but they <laughs> but they then do move on to the bit where they discover that that the restaurant. Uh, conveniently is is the place that buys all Uncle Tom's produce. Yes. So, of course, we then get about... And they do make the point that, you know, because they're British, they'll just eat any old muck that's put in front of them <laughs> um, without without question. So, of course, they then set about, obviously, trying to destroy his... Um, to, to basically destroy the restaurant so that there's no demand for his horribly over-processed food. Which isn't a bad scene. My favourite part of that is actually the reaction of the customers. And that, that completely unfazed... <laughs> like, you know, this absolute muck is being set up in front of them and they're just being polite British customers. Mm. That, that, that does work quite well. Uh, but look, look, I mean, there's some nice stuff in there. You know, the rubber steak, yes. uh, the exploding eggs. Mm. Um, there is, I mean, a bit with the rubber steak. I mean, Graham, again, and, and we've talked in previous episodes about Graham and, he, and the physicality of his performance. I mean, he gets to jump up and down on the steak, hit it with the mallet, with the roller, mm. which, which, again, was quite amusing. Yeah, look, it was. And that brings us to the finale of the episode, which is where Uncle Tom sees the error of his ways. And, mm. and, and actually sees a real chicken. Yes. <laughs> so don't kill her, take me. <laughs> and there's some good it, stuff Esmeralda. There. Esmeralda. <laughs> yeah, which is a nice, it's sort of a nice conclusion. Now, we, we, we've spoken, this is becoming a bit of a theme now, about the last gag of an episode being a great good gag, but that makes no narrative sense. This surely has to be the pinnacle of this trope. Because for no apparent reason whatsoever, suddenly Uncle Tom's turning into a bloody scientist who's turning <laughs> them into chickens or something. Yes, and, and puts <laughs> puts them in the in the in the cages. Yeah, which yeah. is which is incredibly funny and it's a wonderful finale to the episode. But it makes no sense. No, <laughs> no it doesn't. They just suddenly they're just there. And and again, look, it's probably one of those ones that we need a gag to go out on. Yeah. So, look, I totally get it, but it's just Given that Uncle Tom's this you know, wonderful, nice guy, and suddenly you know he wouldn't hurt anything, and he's just to become this evil, manipulative, <laughs> lunatic scientist who wants to exploit his own nephew to turn him into a chicken or something. A it's, battery chicken. Yeah, it's, as I say, it's, it's a great gag. I wouldn't want it any other way. But when you are, you know, one of three sad men sitting there analysing it, it doesn't quite, <laughs> doesn't quite work. Uh, any other comments before we move on to our segments? Did, I guess going back to, do, do we think that the points it made landed? Oh, I think the points absolutely landed. And as you oh, said, yeah, I what it was. Because I did. I mean, look, I, as I said, I thought of the ones, of, of the episodes that have actually got something to say, I actually think this is probably one of the better ones. Because it, it actually makes its points reasonably well. I mean, look, as I said, it doesn't all work. But you see, I mean, and, and you see the overprocessed food and the fact that, you know, the, what they're eating is just... Mark, and, and again, it's still relevant. Plus, of course, there's always the thing, you know, as they say, if most people knew how their food was produced, they wouldn't eat any of it, yeah. uh, really. And, and that's, that's, again, that's still a very relevant point now. Yeah, and certainly the, the lines, as you mentioned, about you know, sugar suddenly being something we need to think about. The mention of monosodium glutamate, yep. for example, they're very ahead of its time. I mean, you wouldn't get that in food now. No, that's right. I mean, uh, that would have been around the time, I think, when fat was the big demon, uh, yes. of course. But, uh, yes, now it is all about sugar. Mm. It is. So, yeah, look, look. there's a lot to love in this episode. There are good moments. Frank Thornton is a great performance. There's some good gags. I, I just felt... I guess I didn't feel there was 30 minutes in there. There was probably more like 25. Which, if that's the worst you can say about it, is not really a bad thing. Mm. Mm. 
So we move on to our segments. Ads. There were two once again. Yes. Uh, the first is the Glow Scalp, which is guaranteed to remove all dandruff. Yes, I, I use it every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a good a good visual gag, a good twist on uh, it is. an ad. Uh, and then you have a beer commercial for an unnamed brand of beer. Yes. Which, well, how shall we put this gentleman? It starts the run of <laughs> a, uh, a butch product, a perceived butch product, being not so butch. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, it allows, well, I mean, this is, this is perhaps going back to the Fairy Puff Man in about episode two, where it does allow Tim to do his... Um, Effeminate voice. Effeminate voice, yes. Yes. They, uh, I mean, it, it's a send-up, it's apparently a send-up of an ad that was being screened in Britain at the time. Um, where the, the barmaid takes the sip of the beer and, you know, oh, I don't, I don't really get why you like that, but I like the men that do. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, look, again, it's a really nice little send-up, and it, it's a joke that you don't see coming as well. No. So it's very funny. Anything they couldn't get away with today? Again, I thought it was quite a tame episode on that respect. Yeah, I, I think this is... Uh going off track you know you, where the goodies was always accused of being a kid's show and they didn't like it maturing and having the other things later on it's pretty much coming down to the around this time that this sort of set the standard of what they thought the goodies was about yeah. it was entertaining the kids it had the filmed inserts and these were very innocuous to what you know they wouldn't get away with which might have upset them a bit no, I, I don't think. I mean, again, it was broadcast uncut here, so clearly, you know, we know how strict the Australian censors were oh, at the time, so right. there obviously was nothing there that upset them. So yeah. the, the only thing you probably wouldn't put in there now is Bill's monosodium glutamate. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would not be seen as a positive thing no. these days. Now, goodies firsts and goodies tropes. I've actually got a couple here. Yep. I think it's the first mention of somebody wanting to be a zookeeper. Because yes, I mean, I mean, Bernard Breslau was, was actually a zookeeper. Yes, but I think this is the first use in the goodies of yes. to be a zookeeper. It's a trope that had been in some of their previous work, though. Mm. Yeah, it's also the t- first time we meet one of Tim's relatives. Yes. yes. First uncle. The yes. first time we meet an uncle, and yeah, that became a bit of a running gag. Again, we had had Tim's uh, great-aunt mentioned. Yes, and, and we see his mother in the police episode. That's right, yes. yes. But it's the first time we start to do that. And what would become a recurring thing of yep. Tim's? We meet at least three of them. Yes. If not more across the course of the series. Now, not necessarily a first, but a growing trope is the sophistication of some of their editing, particularly with the animals. And some of the sketches that they do with the hens, for example, here, you can see the genesis of what would become that quite award-winning sketch in Kitten Kong where you have the singing dogs, for example. Yeah, although I guess technically the singing dogs had already uh, been recorded because that's a reuse from uh, Broad in Your Mind. No, they, uh, yes, it was from Broad yes. in Your Mind, but it wasn't done for No, the original came at that point, but yes, but it is those video editing techniques. Yeah, yes. You can, you can see that being developed quite well. Favourite gags, gentlemen? I think it's uh, Frank Thornton pointing out where the meat was on the bone. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite good. Uh, I had a couple of lines that really made me laugh. The first was, again, the Frank Borden gag. But you're sweet, sir. Oh, thank you very much. I'm still leaving. <laughs> that was quite good. And I, I, I don't know why, but I, I love the line, the, the, the pun, uh, where Graham says to Uncle Tom, I suppose they're all battery hens. And the reply is, 
No, some are fed off the mains. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I'm probably also going to go with one of the, the Frank Thornton. I, I think that there was the, the bit where he's opening the can of soup for the gentleman to sample, yes. I, I think was quite good. There's there's also the bit where the, the line where they say, you know, our, our chefs are the best. And he said, oh, what, Cordon Bleu? He says, no, Nobel Prize no, winning chemists. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's good. And I also made special note down here of Tim's line towards the end about how animals should be free and natural and roaming free and then you kill them <laughs> which i thought you know lovingly punctuated the idea of you can get very romantic about how these farm yard animals are treated but at the end of the day you're still killing you're them. going to eat them yes so I, I thought that was a, a nice little twist on the message there any other points before we finish up no, I don't think so. Overall, look, uh, you're right. It's it's one I, I think the jokes are in different places now when you watch it as an adult, mm. I think. But overall, I, I really enjoyed it. I, Jane, I think it was a very good episode. Yeah, a lot to commend it. Yes. Fair enough. Well, next week we'll be coming back with Women's Lip. So that's one I'm looking forward to discussing. This, this may be a bit more of an interesting discussion, perhaps. But uh, until then, who knows? You may take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. Now, would, uh, would you other gentlemen like to order? Oh, we appear to have a bit of a problem now, and none of your causes seem to be fresh. Fresh? Well, of course not, sir. But we at Ye Old Shepherd's Cottage Restaurant do guarantee that the food we serve is prepared by experts. Cordon Bleu chefs. Nobel Prize chemists. <laughs>